All right, let's go to the Bible now. If you found Hebrews chapter 10, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, I'll start in verse 19, read down to verse 25. Last week I covered the first half of this passage. This week my intent is to cover the second half. Last week we had information. This week we have commands. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 19. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you help us. We pray especially for our students. You know we believe in our students and love them. God, we ask you to draw them to yourself. There would be joy and depth in the Lord. For all the families represented here, for men and women that have come to worship you, God, we, we ask you to speak to us through your word so that our hearts will be strengthened even from today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You may be seated. There could be many stages to learning how to drive a car. I probably would break it up into two stages. The first stage would be driver's ed. There in driver's ed, you learn the rules of the road. Learn what to do at a stop sign, which is stop. You learn what to do at a stop light. When you approach, it's green and goes into yellow and then to red. You learn that you don't speed up, you slow down. You've seen your parents speed up, you slow down. Learn what to do with a turn signal. Learn what a proper following distance is. You learn maybe the greatest lesson of all. If you're on the interstate, the left-hand lane is for passing, not for going slow and bottlenecking traffic. You guys have experienced the same thing I have, I suppose. You learn all the necessary information that it takes to actually know philosophically how to drive, but none of that can actually take the place of getting in that car and driving it. Good thoughts, great information, never takes the place of doing it. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind as we explain the passage in front of us right here. The preacher has, the preacher who wrote this, He's been explaining to us all of the excellencies of Christ, how good He is, how good God is, and what He's done for us in Jesus. Ten chapters of theology, of all that Christ is, just how great He is. He even gives us some foundations in verse 19 in this passage, two foundational truths in this text. Verse 19 says, since... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So one foundation is the cross that has bought us 
so that we might be close to God. We have that as a philosophical foundation. And it gives us another one down in verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, remember the four S's, over the house of God, sovereignty and salvation and sanctification and security. So he gives us these two great truths, verse 19 and verse 21, and it's wonderful, soul-satisfying information. You, you drink that up and you get healing and hope and strength. You, you draw strength from God. You have all the information, but at some point you actually have to get in the car and drive. And here, after giving us these great truths, the rest of the passage is filled with commands telling us to actually do something for God. So this morning, I hope that you can see, if you'd like to write things down, you might want to write this one down, true grace. True grace creates an intentional Christian life. True grace. You're saved by grace, but faith. True grace, it's going to do something. It, do, it does something. It creates your life lived with intentionality. Now, the rest of this passage uh, is filled with commands. There are three commands from verse 22 to verse 25. Those three commands give us the structure of our sermon. I'll give them to you in short. The first one is to draw near. The second one is to don't waffle. And the third one is don't quit. Let's start with the first one, number one. Here's the first point. Draw near. You might even put out to the side, draw near to God. Isn't that the sum total of what, of what being a Christian, isn't that the sum total of what Camp Paradise is about? Isn't that the sum total of what we desire? If you were to boil it down to a very basic understanding, it would be, I want to be close to God. In fact, most religions would say that's what, what the religion is for. What this whole book, the book of Hebrews, it is there to give us instructions on how we can actually be close to God, draw near to God. Why do we need to draw near to God? Well, because in our natural state, we are not near God. The Bible opens up with great creation in chapter 1 and then a fall in chapter 2 and cast out of the garden in curses. And ever since Genesis chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, there you have men and women, that's us, moving away from God. And the entire rest of the Bible is the story of redemption, God pursuing and redeeming His people and drawing them near. Do you want to? Do you want to be near God? Well, verse 22 tells us how. Let's go to the text and see what it says. Verse 22 gives us four ways to draw near to God. Jo join me there. You read it. Let us draw near. Here's the first one. With what? A true heart. What is a true heart? A true heart is a heart that has been flooded with grace. You understood your sin. You looked to the cross of Jesus. You believed there and God forgave you. A true heart is a heart flooded with forgiveness. A heart flooded with hope and determination. A new heart a new heart is a true heart. A true heart, uh, for us to understand it, sometimes 
If you want to understand something, sometimes just look. It's good to look and see what is it not. A true heart is not a doubt, a doubting heart. A true heart is not a distracted heart. A true heart is not a distrustful heart, a hateful heart. If you hate people, your heart is not right. It's not a bitter heart. It's not an angry heart. It's not an indifferent. It's not a bored it's not a fickle heart. It's not a sometimes heart. When it's convenient, modern, modern Christianity runs on the same rails as the culture does, and oftentimes we only do that which is convenient. Drawing near to God with a true heart means having your heart changed, a conversion, going from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ. At conversion, when you are born again, is the language Jesus used, God actually gives you a new heart. Draw near with a true heart. Let me give you something else to consider. You'll see it in the text. How else do we draw near? Verse 22, you read it. Draw near with a full, with full assurance of faith. Do you see that phrase? With full assurance of faith. What that means is to draw near without doubt. <clears throat> full assurance is unshaken, unwavering. Now, I want to be I want to be careful here because oftentimes you can feel the weight of maybe your faith is not very strong. You don't have strong faith. I want to be careful here because all of us have our faith tested from time to time. So the burden is not placed on you so that we're measuring how strong your faith is and the strength of your faith as much as it is placed on the strength of what it is you're believing in. More than your determination. We are, we are holding on to something. I, you know what, I want to give you, um, I try to think of ways to explain this and maybe understand it and think through. There are some absolutes that we trust in the Bible. There are some absolutes that are going to help, that have helped me this week, I hope will help you. Here's the first one to hold on to. God is absolutely good. The absolute goodness of God. I want you to trust what the Bible says about the absolute goodness of God. Or you might think with me about the absolute sinfulness of your heart outside of Christ. Remember that, um, <clears throat> that we are called sinners not because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. There's a difference. The sin comes from us. We are the absolute, that means that everything about us is affected in one way or other, one way or the other with, with our own sin. And we need help with that. So the goodness of God, sinfulness of man. And the third absolute that I would just give you is the absolute sufficiency of Christ on the cross. That we trust that what God has done for us in Jesus, his life and death and resurrection, that is the gospel. And then the absolute authority of the Bible. You see, the strength that we're giving you is not whether or not your faith is strong. The strength is in the absolutes of God. I'm asking you to draw near with a true heart. Draw near with a full assurance of faith. You'll see a third one there in verse 22. You read it. Draw near, draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Let's go inside of your heart. 
You see the language used here in verse 22. The preacher is using Old Testament language. Being sprinkled clean. That's something from the book of Leviticus. But notice he says that this outward, this language of ritual really needs to be something that goes on on the inside. Your heart being sprinkled clean. He brings this, he brings it internal. Our heart clean. What does it mean to have your heart? He even defines it. Your conscience clean. Your conscience. The inner person of who you are. The inner man or the inner woman. Every person here has a conscience. You have it whether or not you're a Christian. You have your own standards of right and wrong. You have at least some understanding of that which is right and some understanding of that which is wrong. And without Christ, without something that is a compass, your heart can fade. Your understanding of right and wrong can ride with the culture. And here's what the preacher is saying. We need to make sure that our hearts and minds, our conscience, who we are, is defined by what Christ has done for us. The real being of who you are, your essence, your identity, being submitted to the spiritual washing that comes from being converted. Christianity. Let's, let's drill deep into what we mean by Christianity. Christianity is more than just a set of behaviors, you acting nice and going to church. It's more than just following Christ. Christianity, we understand it to be a real change, a fundamental reworking of your entire inner being so that what you once desired has been changed into desiring that which is honoring to God so that what makes you, you, your heart and conscience being sprinkled clean is changed when you become a Christian. Are you then? Are you? Are you far from God? That's the language of the day. Without Christ, people say they're far from God. The truth is, without Christ, you're dead in sin and nowhere near God. But I'll just ask you, do you feel far from God? The, 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 the writer's saying, come, come and draw near with your heart changed, a true heart, with a full assurance of faith and the absolutes of what the Bible teaches, with your, with your mind and heart changed and, and cleansed. I'll just tack that last phrase on uh, to verse 22. The text says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and that last phrase, our bodies washed with pure water. There's a lot of conversation as to what that means. There's a lot of study in this week and plenty of debate. Some scholars say one thing, some say another. I really think that the easiest reading is probably has to do with following your confession of faith, following through with baptism. John the Baptist came preaching repentance and baptism to show that repentance. Jesus came and was baptized, he said, to fulfill all righteousness. All of the disciples baptized. The new church was born and people got saved and were baptized. The Apostle Paul taught and preached baptism. Jesus, when he ascended into heaven and gave us the great commission, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is not a saving act. We do not believe that being baptized saves you or even does anything transformative inside of you. It is a public surrender, a physical act of surrender that says 
to the Lord, to your heart, and to a congregation. There's a reason we don't do private baptisms. Baptism is done in front of the church because it is a testimony. It is a reminder to the person being baptized, you are buried with Christ, you've been raised in your life. It is encouragement to the church that says we have a new brother or sister in Christ that is part of us. It, part of us. it is incorporated into worship because it is honoring to God and a picture of what Jesus has done. When you join this church, this congregation, if you haven't been baptized, you are baptized into Christ and His church. Some of you in this room need to be baptized. Maybe you were baptized before and then after being baptized, possibly as a child, you gave your life to Jesus, you were converted. Now we need to baptize you because it goes after conversion. Some of you have been coming to church here a long time and not members. You ought to be baptized by way of identification because it becomes a picture. You see, true grace creates an intentional Christian life. First command, draw near to God. Let me give you the second command. Come on down the page a little bit to verse 23. And that is don't waffle. Don't waffle. Don't go back and forth. Don't say one thing and do the other. Don't be someone that is hard to read. Verse 23, read the command. I'll tell you what let's do. <clears throat> Verse 23, let's read the command and then let's dismantle it. Let's open it and see what we see inside of there and then we'll put it back together. Let's go read it. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Okay, what's the command? The command is let us. Let us, not like on a salad, let us as a command. Let us what? The command is to hold fast. Let us hold fast fast. If you were to take those two words and looked underneath, you would find one Greek word that really is nothing more than what you think it is. Hold on with a tight grip. During uh, the Napoleonic Wars, British deckhands on a frigate or a man of war or ship of the line, um, on a deckhand, the deckhands would, would have across their knuckles the words, hold fast, H-O-L-D-F-A-S-T. Hold fast. Not because they didn't know it came from the Bible, not because they were biblical scholars, but because they were superstitious and believed that that would help their hands hold on to the ropes during the typhoons at sea and the hurricanes at sea. Hold fast. You get the idea. Hold fast. What are we holding fast to? Okay, I got the idea I'm supposed to have a really tight grip. What am I having this tight grip on? Join me there. Verse 23. Hold fast to the confession of our hope, the hopeful confession. The confession is the statement of faith. The Puritans would call it the body of divinity, the substance of what we believe, the essence and essentials of what does it mean to actually be a Christian. The very first confession is Jesus is Lord. That's the first confession. As the church continued to expand it realized that it must keep drawing circles around what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you define Christianity? So you had, about the fourth century, the Apostles' Creed. It's a great creed. If you don't know it, you ought to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And then after that, the Nicene Creed that would give a definition, a summary of being a Christian. The Reformation came and the Presbyterians have the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a summary of the Christian faith. The Baptists said, well, we need to baptize people. Have the London Baptist Confession 
or something more recent, the New Hampshire Baptist Confession, or for us, the Baptist Faith and Message. It is not our creed. The Bible is our authority. It's nothing more than a summary of what our confession is. We need that so that we have clarity. Have clarity on, I mean, look, we live in a confusing time. You have clarity on things like gender, the goodness of masculinity, the goodness of femininity, the goodness of maleness, the goodness of femaleness, and how God created us like that, and it was good. He did that for human flourishing. The understanding of being responsible to Christ as Lord. The call to be joyful as we think about the confession. To, to hold fast. The command is hold fast to the confession of our hope. The hopefulness of knowing Christ. Okay, so hold fast to what? To the confession. All right, well, how... How do I hold fast to the confession? The answer is there in verse 23. Notice what the text says. <clears throat> Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. How? How do I hold fast? Without wavering, without waffling, without watering it down, without, without compromise, without being silent, without trying to diminish, without being ashamed, without being apologetic. Oftentimes I feel like Christians are ashamed of the things we believe when in fact the, the commands are good. We're told to hold fast without wavering. That's going to be costly. That's why we do things like Camp Paradise. We want to put as much strength into the souls of our students because they go into a world, it's costly. The world will shame you. The world we live in, the culture, when I say the world, I mean the culture we live in right now, 2022, to actually believe with any clarity what the Bible says when it comes to sexuality. For instance, it will put us on the margins. If you have a career, you may not be promoted because you're a Christian that believes the Bible. If you have friends, they may distance themselves from you because you hold true. Maybe even in your own family, like when the Civil War, families torn apart. It could affect it could affect your standing in society. It would be very, very difficult for a born-again Christian that believes the Bible to actually be elected for a high office in our nation. But don't forget the why. Why do we hold these things? Why? You, you see it laid out for us in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. How do we do it? Without wavering. Why? Why do we, why do we stay true? It's because or for he who promised is faithful. Why do we stay true to what we believe? It's because of the mountain of God's goodness to us. It, it is because of his faithfulness in your life. It's good for you to think a little bit. Think, think with me now on your, think with me on grace, on saving grace, how God saved you, how you once were a sinner adrift and away and dead in sin, far from God, and lost and sunk in that sin, and God in goodness reached and saved you. It's good to think on the saving grace of God. It's good to think on the sustaining, how God has sustained you through hard and difficult times. You, you felt like you weren't going to make it, and yet He carried you through. It's good to think from time to time on the sustaining grace of God. It's good to think on, on, on providence, 
Some of you have been alive long enough, you can look back and look at your life. I evidently have been alive long enough, oldest person at camp, alive long enough. So you can look back and see all through your life how God has brought you through. Or looking forward, you can trust the sovereignty of God. You see, the, the grace that God gives us, this true grace, it creates an intentional Christianity. Draw near, the Bible says, and hold fast to the confession of our hope. Don't waffle. Let me give you a third. I'll make this the final one. A third point, number three. And that is don't quit. Don't quit. You're going to be tempted to quit. I'm speaking mostly about Christianity right now. You're going to be tempted. That's what the, that's what the temptation was at this church that received this for the first time students what you're going to what you're going to be tempted to do is just not go look at the third command go with me there verse 24 and 25 so the command is to consider see it let us consider let's think what are we considering verse 24 let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works to think about, to diligently take into mind, to continually have in view. I need to think systematically, how can I help a brother or sister out? Verse 24, consider how to stir up. That word um, should be provoke. It's not, a, it's not a real pleasant word. It really has this stand at the doorbell and keep ringing the doorbell until they finally come. It's just sort of keep after it. Think about how you can provoke brothers and sisters to two words, agape, love, and ergon, work, to love and work. Think about how you can invest in someone so that they are going to grow in their hearts for the love for God and other people and then actually put that into action. Consider, think about, the command is not to do all those things. The command is to think how you. How you have been put in this world with the circle of friends that you have so that you might be conscientiously caring for them, investing in them, thinking about their welfare, to stir up, provoke brothers and sisters to agape and doing something. Consider. So what do we consider? We need to think about <clears throat> how to communicate. We need to think about other people's temptations, where they come from, what's their background, Everybody's different and receives things differently. We need to consider their trials and temptations, their needs, what their situation is, what their emotional makeup, what are their pains. We need to consider and think about. The command is to think. We need to think about their struggles. And then with all of that information, we need to find ways to help and serve one another, become, help me become a blessing to other people. Consider. Consider how to stir up, how to push, how to influence another to love and good deeds. How to stir up commitment and strength. I want students to grow and to have a passion for the Lord and their souls to be strengthened. To inflame my affections for God. To consider how to press one another on to godly living through genuine care and sometimes subtle exhortation, appropriate conversations, act of Acts of kindness, humbly talking to one another if you see a brother or sister in sin, real concern. 
You understand in verse 24, the command is to think about how to do that. How to care for the people in your orbit. Verse 25 gives us a couple of warnings about not quitting. You see it there. You read it in verse 25. It's one of the famous verses in the book of Hebrews, verse 25. <clears throat> not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Had a church where some people have left. And he knows the people are staying have seen that. And he points out to those that have left the congregation and said, don't, don't be like that. We need to not neglect the meeting together. Not neglect is the, um, it feels passive, like I've, I left the stove on, I neglected to turn it off, and the toast got burned up. It's, it's not passive, it's active. It's active, it is the word forsake. It's, it's the word used, uh, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the word Paul used to describe Demas, Demas, he forsook me. It is, it is the word that the preacher will use, same word he uses to describe what Jesus has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And bring all of that back to this passage, verse 25, we need to not forsake meeting together. Look, this is not, I hear, I've heard it before. Someone say that used to go to church and has quit going to church and say something like, I just got out of the habit. I just would offer up, biting your nails is a habit. Worshiping on Sunday with the Lord's people is a completely different thing. As I prepared this, I thought about our church, my church, the church that God has given me to lead for the time that he's given me to lead it. Thank the Lord I have co-laborers and other pastors on staff that are leading. But you think about the people on the role of your church. And I started rolling in my mind the, the multiplied hundreds of people on the role at Hickory Grove that are in danger, in danger one of two things. This is what a pastor thinks about. One of two, either they're in danger because either they are not saved and think they are because they got on roll and you had to be baptized to get there for that. Or they're not actually born again. Or they are born again and living in rebellion. And, and, the, and the command the preacher is giving to his people is it's no longer a command, it's a, it's, here's a warning. Don't forsake. Don't stop gathering together to worship, to be in community, and learn from each other, to be investing in a small group, dis discipling one another. We do all of that with an eye on the end. You, you read it at the end of verse 25. Notice the text. Why do we gather together and worship? Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We keep our eye on the truth that there is a consummation, that is the end. 
that Christ will return as king to receive his church and look forward to an eternal judgment. A judge, anytime you see the day in the Bible, it's talking about judgment day. And the preacher's saying, with my eye on the end, I need to warn you, don't stop. Don't quit. This morning I want to call you to, to strengthen what God has given you. The foundation of the gospel is this. That God has created you in his image, and many of you here are living without Christ. Sent Jesus to redeem us. He died on the cross. God raised him from the dead and the offer to you. You need to receive Christ. Maybe you need to respond today. Others of you, uh, you would say, I'm already a Christian, but maybe there's been some drifting, and today you just need to draw near to God. Or possibly you need to be baptized. We schedule that this week, to be baptized. Or maybe you heard the command um, in, there, in the text that says to hold fast. You've been tempted. It's, it's, it's very difficult for Christians in the 20s and 30s in our culture right now to hold fast to the confession of Christianity. So hard. And maybe you felt the temptation of, of, of just slipping. And today you've been reminded these commands are good. You want to ask God, help me hold fast. Maybe you thought of someone that um, God has put in your orbit, your circle of friends, or maybe just right outside your circle. You need to expand that circle. And God has impressed you to stir up another person, one another, encouraging one another to love good deeds. Maybe, maybe you just are back for the first time in a long time and you need to rejoice in the fact that you're here and you ask God to help you to not forsake the assembly. There's some intentionality to Christianity. True grace creates an intentional Christian. As we close today in a time of prayer and get ready to sing one more worship song, I want, I want you to just join me and think, what is the response you need to offer to the Lord? Will you join me as we pray together and get ready to sing our last worship song? With your heads bowed this morning, I'd like to invite you to think on where you are before God. Students, this includes you. And maybe you need to come forward today and ask a pastor to lead you to become a Christian. You want to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Our pastors are down front and pray with you and talk with you about what it means to give your life to Jesus. It could be a further, longer conversation, but we need to start that conversation today. Maybe uh, you need to have the conversation about baptism you believe, you trusted Christ, you've not been baptized, and you want to, we can just schedule that this week and make sure we're clear on, on what God has done in your life and what the gospel is. Maybe you just want to come and pray that you have, you've thought of someone that you actually need to invest in her life or you need to invest in his life. God has put that person in your orbit and it's time for you to stir that person up to love good work. Maybe you thought of someone that's on the roll at Hickory Grove is not here and should be. God has put that person in your life, and now it's your turn to stir that person up. Father, we thank you for your good work. 
Thank you for a great week at camp. Thank you for Sunday, chance to worship. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would call people to yourself that you might help us, Lord, to draw near, help us to hold fast. God, help us to think and consider how to stir up one another. And Lord, we pray you would help this church. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.